1: Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks so much for
2: tuning in to another edition of Winning Ponies. Hope you enjoy it. As you know, we are only about a week and a day away from the Breeders' Cup at Santa Anita. So Of course, we're going to have a lot of uh, Breeders' Cup coverage tonight, and we're going to have some very special guests next week. We'll probably change the format of the show a little bit and basically just kind of zero in on handicapping the races and a slew of them. There are, of course, two days of events. We've got both Friday and Saturday. I'll go into the schedule a little bit later in the show. Uh, Coming up, our first guest will be a multiple Eclipse Award winning writer, Bill Mooney. Uh, Bill's been a friend for decades and has seen a lot of sides of the sport and I'm really looking forward to kind of picking his brain and what's going on now and kind of looking at his approach to uh, race writing. He's an amazing uh, historian and an award winner. And then a gentleman we last spoke to when he was a writer for the Thoroughbred Times, Frank Angst. Uh, He's an excellent writer, also a very good handicapper. He's going to help us out with the handicapping segment, but this week we're going to talk to him with a different title. He's Frank Angst, writer for the Blood Horse. And he may again be able to give us some insight into uh, the changes at the times and what it's like to kind of change teams uh, right across the street there in Lexington, Kentucky. Now again with the Blood Horse, Frank Angst. All right, before we get on to these great guests, uh, before we start talking Breeders' Cup, because they were pre-entered yesterday, Some uh, shocking uh, headlines this week, Uh, probably the biggest one, the fact that Chantel Sutherland, who rode her first race at Woodbine, won her first race at Woodbine, rode her last race at Woodbine, her last career race. Uh, She uh, had a teary-eyed goodbye at Woodbine. Uh, She pretty much says, hey, you know, I've ridden over 7,500 horses and I've never had a serious injury. And let's face it, with some of the modeling she's done and the notoriety she's had of late, I don't think she's going to have a problem getting either a uh, modeling job and certainly I'd look out HRTV or TVG because somebody might be taking a chair as one of the hosts of that show uh, on, on either network. I would not be surprised. She certainly has the personality. We know she's got the looks. Um, Sutherland, just to go back a little bit about her career, she won the Sovereign Award as Canada's Outstanding Apprentice back in 2001 and 2002. Then she moved to New York. Uh, she uh, went down road at Gulfstream Park. And, uh, you know, she ended up riding a Game On Dude. And it had one thing happen or another, instead of uh, losing the mount uh, on the Game On Dude to Raphael Big. Be- Corano, she may have been riding him next Saturday, um, in the Breeders' Cup Classic. And, uh, nonetheless, just, uh, she had won 71 stakes. She's won 21 graded stakes. Uh, five of those were aboard Game on Dude. And, uh, of course, finished second in the Breeders' Cup Classic last year. So I'm sure Chantel Sutherland will have no problem landing on her feet. And speaking of somebody that likes to land on his feet a lot, Frankie Dettori, known for his famous flying dismounts and so many of the graded stakes races he's won over the years, Uh, looks like he's got a bit of a parting of the ways. Now, Frankie's no young kid anymore. He's 41 years old, but it looks like uh, the 18-year-old association with the Godolphin stable of Sheikh Mohammed of Dubai has been broken up. Uh, Dettori, along those many wins, has been the champion British jockey three times. Listen to this. He has won 500 group restaurants. And when he's got some free time on his hands, well, he opened two Italian restaurants and he launched a men's fragrance. So if you wanted to smell like Frankie, you're able to do that. So uh, all good things, the Dolphin have parted ways, and no one is really sure if uh, this is going to be a swan song or if... uh, In fact, he is going to uh, continue riding, but nonetheless had some outstanding rides for Godolphin Stable. All right, uh, another headline that cannot be ignored is Frankel, who uh, concluded his remarkable career 14 for 14, and they have announced that he will be retired. And again, a lot of times people are saying that, uh, you know, well, who exactly did he beat? Well... He sure went out in style. Uh, the latest one that he tamed was de Agile, a three-time Group 1 winner uh, who had prevailed in this race last year, and it was the uh, champion stakes. And the other thing was, is a very soft testing ground over there, uh, perhaps not Frankel's best, but one that D D'Agile loves. He's a six-year-old. He loves the soft turf. Could not get it done. So uh, looking back again at... Uh, Horse named after the great Bobby Frankel. Uh, he toyed with excellent horses. Uh, he had an ability to sustain that uh, speed. It just seemed like he got faster and faster every furlong, and uh, they just they they couldn't beat him down. Fourteen for fourteen, pretty amazing. And he will be going to stud. Uh, There was a press release that came out, uh, 13 Facts About British Hero Frankel. I won't go through them all, but I thought it was interesting that Frankel was the first ever racehorse to have his very own TV commercial, and that he has the largest feet in the yard of any of Henry Cecil's horses. So, you know what they say about uh, big feet, you know, it might transfer pretty good to the stud barn. Speaking of the stud barn, Street Sense is going to be standing in a new one. That's right, the Derby and Travers horse is going to be traveling to Japan. It's been announced that he will stand the 2013 season at Darley's Farm in Japan. Now, uh, in 2009, Sheikh Mohammed and his family were granted a Japanese racing license. You may recall our conversation with Bill Nader describing how hard it is to get a license over there. And so that means uh, that the Sheik and his family uh, have a significant racing stable in Japan, and I understand that they're going to bring some of their top mares, which they already had in Japan, to Street Sense. Hopefully, for the United States, it's only for one season, and he will be back. Uh, They have also announced that uh, their very expensive horse, $2.1 million Desert Party, a winner of the Sanford Stakes, and a group races at three and four. He's going to be moving to the lucrative New York program. So uh, a little shuffling of the cards there. Interesting where these stallions are ending up. Uh, We spoke a couple weeks ago about the fact that some states are now saying that only vets can apply LASIKs to horses on race day. And for the second time in the early three weeks, state veterinarians made an error regarding the administration. Uh, a, a horse was scheduled to run on the bleeding medication but had to race without it, uh, And uh, a couple weeks ago, a horse got a LASIK shot that wasn't supposed to have it. So, uh, I don't know, I'm in the corner of letting your own veterinarian uh, take care of it. And uh, also, we're going to lose a very good horse, at least on the racetrack. It's tricky, came out of a Belmont Park work, and it looks like she will be retired. And I'm sure that uh, Godolphin Racing will make sure that she's bred to a very, very top stallion. Okay, well, there were 180 pre-entries in the Breeders' Cup. Pretty amazing. And the list is being led by five Breeders' Cup winners just from last year's event, and there's also two of them from 2010, and then also one from 2009. You're going to have the Kentucky Derby winner in there in Animal Kingdom. You're going to have Shackleford, the Preakness winner, in there, and outside of Frankel, probably the best miler in Europe, uh, is going to be in there too. So we're going to have a great couple days of racing. Of course, uh, coming up to the the headliners here in the U.S., uh, Game On Dude and wise Dan. Uh, The interesting uh, call will be on Royal Delta. We uh, got to listen to some conversation with uh, Bill Mott earlier in the week, and uh, while he's still sitting on the fence, I'm going to guess that she's going to go in the ladies' classic. I'll I'll see what Frank has to say because he was at the press conference too. Um, It looks like she'll be in some kind of history-making stake. It has to be because she'll be taking on two other Breeders' Cup winners Both that have never lost, undefeated. My Miss Oriella, who won the Juvenile Phillies in 2011, and the Juvenile Phillies winner of 2010, Awesome Feather. Unbelievable. And, of course, if she had to uh, uh, go into the Classic, she'd be fighting against some other mock trainees, uh, flat out Ron the Greek, and to honor and serve, any one of those could jump up and win. So I just got a feeling the decision's going to go back uh, to the ladies' classic. Uh, Some of the other Breeders' Cup winners looking to defend their title are, of course, the speedy Amazombi. He'll be in the sprint. Musical Romance and the Philly and Mare Sprint, and St. Nicholas Abbey coming across the pond to go into the turf. Of course, the interesting uh, horse that everybody's going to want to be looking at is Animal Kingdom. He's going to be part of just this sensational field that's going to be in the mile uh, that's headed up by perhaps the best horse in North America right now, Wise Dan. Uh, He, of course, got the uh, Thoroughbred Racing Association's number one rank on the national poll last week. Twenty-three horses, of course, we spoke about Royal Delta, were crossed entered uh, but they have to uh, make up their mind by Monday to see what race they're going to go in, so... Uh, we're really looking forward to the Breeders' Cup. Now, there have been some changes uh, to make it a little bit better for you, the better. Uh, they announced just yesterday that they tweaked the order of its nine races to be run on Saturday. The most significant change is moving the juvenile out of the late pick four and putting the sprint in its place. Uh the juvenile drew ten entries, but Shanghai, Bobby's in there and if for any reason he doesn't win the race, power broker, uh you should pick up the pieces. That might be the easiest exacta you're gonna see next week. Um now meanwhile the Sprint had an overflow number of entries, so uh they went ahead and, and made the, the switch there. It should be uh very interesting. So don't forget uh West Coast time, so adjust because I know the show goes from coast to coast, uh eleven fifteen AM, so Add uh, your hours to that in the Central and the East, and so it's going to start off a little bit earlier, and then on Saturday, uh, the card is going to start at 10.05, uh, with the uh, Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf starting at 10.50. Again, those are East Coast times. Uh Let's take a quick kind of look down at the races. Uh, the, the Juvenile Sprint, only 10 were pre-entered. Uh, and It looks like uh, Beholder and Cowie Katie, uh, w- who were both cross-entered in the Juvenile Fillies, uh, could end up in the Sprint. Uh, the Marathon has Aldafer, who won this race two years ago. Uh, there's a great European horse in there by the name of Fame and Glory. Uh, very interesting point that, again, I want to talk to Frank about is the fact that the juveniles this year will not be racing on Lasix. So who knows what that's going to put into the mix. It may be a very strong reason to back some of the European horses, um, in the juvenile Phillies turf you got European invaders, uh, Flotilla and Sky Lantern um, in the juvenile Phillies. this is going to be cool classic East Coast showdown between uh, Julia dreaming of Julia and executive privilege. Both unbeaten. i got to give the edge to Executive Privilege who's been out there on the West, course, west Coast, of course. Uh, then the Philly and Mare Turf. This is going to be a tough one, very tough one, wide open. You've got the once-beaten French Philly Rita Siana in there. Of course, the Ladies Classic, perhaps the deepest and most talented field we've ever seen in that race. And we'll see if Royal Delta goes up against the other two undefeated horses, Awesome Feather and My Miss Aurelia. All right, then Saturday uh, kicks off again. No Lasix, the Juvenile Turf. Uh, half a dozen Europeans are going to be in here, so this is really going to be a, an interesting race to watch. Uh, the, the Philly and Mare Sprint, uh, Groupie Doll, and the Defending Champ Musical Romance will be matching strides. Then you got the Dirt Mile with uh, Shackleford being very dangerous along with Jersey Town Rail Trip and the three-year-old Fed Biz. Turf Sprint. Always an interesting race, and gives us some long shots uh, we 'll see what happens in that one uh, again, the juvenile you got Shang Hi Bobby, who I hear is just training fantastic, and again the reason why they shuffled the deck and the way the races are going to be put together on Saturday uh, then in the uh, in the turf. You got point of entry, who's just been sensational for Suge McGahee. and of course the defending champ Saint Nicholas Abbey, and that'll be it. Give us a full field. Amazombie, he's going to try to defend his title in the sprint. Uh, going to have some tough ones in there though with Trinnenberg and Lumber Guy and Coil. Any one of those could upset Amazonby. And then the mile, well, that's going to be your chance to see Animal Kingdom and the uh, huge European horse X Celebration and Wise Dan that Summer Whispering Horse of the Year honors uh, should he uh, get it done. Uh, then the classic, we'll find out, hands cross-entered. We'll see if he goes in there. Uh, and then you've got a, the one that probably they have to beat, game on dude! but certainly there's some horses in there, and Billy Mott can win this race and he's got Ron the Greek in there let's not forget the talented Fort Learned Mucho Macho Man and Richard's Kid so again that is a look at the uh, the Breeders' Cup the highlights so, stay tuned and don't forget to dial into Winning Ponies to get all of the great handicapping information that they're going to be able to get to you, including up to the minute changes that you're going to want to know about before you put your card together. All right. Well, we put our card together last week with uh, uh, my man, Steady Eddie, Ed Meyer. The Pin Oak Valley at Keeneland went to Angel Terrace at 27 to 1. Uh, it was. Uh, James Graham and Jonathan Shepard, they teamed up to win this race in 2010. Again, Angel Terrace getting that one done, and I don't think either Ed or I picked that one. Uh, then uh, in the in the Penoke Valley View, from the inside, it was Ms. Ida who had to take back and close very, very strongly and did get up by a neck over English class there at Keelan. Uh, the, the Raven Run. Very interesting race with a slew of horses with different amounts of talent. This was uh, Ed's best bet of the day. As a matter of fact, he called me up to remind me, hey, you're on your way to Keeneland. Are you there? Get out your wallet and put everything you got on Gypsy Robin. And Gypsy Robin did not disappoint. Went from flag fall to that's all over 12 to 1, sacristy. And then the last race we handicapped, the West Virginia Breeders Classic, Uh We're kind of looking at the two veterans there that that ran one two, Black Belt and Russell Road is the ones to beat. And I did mention there was an upstart in there, a three-year-old by the name of Lucy's Bob Boy, and that's who got the job done at three to one, spanking his elders by eight lengths. All right, that's a look at the races we handicapped last week. Looking forward right now to talking to multiple Eclipse Award winner Bill Mooney. You're listening to Winning (laughs) Ponies. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports.
1: And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com. The home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you.
0: on the Voice America Sports Network.
2: In the opening kickoff is a beauty. There's a
0: fly ball deep right field. Back goes O'Neal. He's hey, at the... shot. got it With 2.8 seconds He's left. To left. I don't care where they
1: put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we <laughs> cover, everything. cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports are tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. All right, with John Englehart and a gentleman that
2: I can call a friend of mine, luckily, uh, Bill Mooney and I go back, let's face it, decades uh, in in the racing business. Uh, just to kind of give you a little bit of a background about him, he, he was actually a college professor. Uh, he taught English for seven years at, at Michigan State University. Uh, then he taught journalism at the University of Georgia started writing about horses part-time uh, when uh, affirmed an Alley Dower match in strides and then became a full-time turf rider in 84. He's won two Eclipse Awards, but if you ever see him in the balloting, he's a good place bet, too, because he's been runner-up in the Eclipse four times. Uh, he's also won the Dr. Tony Ryan Award for Best Horse Racing Book of the Year in 2009 on uh, Keelan's Ted Bassett, My Life. Uh, he's also the author of the Complete Encyclopedia of Horse Racing. So if ever there was a man that we wanted to have on Winning Ponies, I think he's on the phone right now, Bill Mooney, How you doing, my friend? I'm doing fine, John, and I'll tell you something I learned a long time ago that I make a lot more money
3: writing about horses than I would betting on them.
2: <laughs> well, the great thing is we're still involved in a sport we we, we love, uh, and uh, it's, it's getting tighter and tighter. Now, I know there's a question uh, you want to ask me. Do you want me to ask you? Because we spoke about it this week, and I'm going to get to that. But before I get to that that question, Bill. Um, I just want to tell you that over the years, I've always enjoyed your writing, no matter what publication you were writing for. But what comes through to me most when I see an article, and I see the name Bill Mooney on there, is that this article or story uh, is going to be steeped in history. You have an amazing respect for the history, uh, not only of just horse racing, but of perhaps the area of, of horse racing in which you are writing, uh, Does that go back to your, to your days as a professor?
3: Oh, I, I, it goes back to my days as a student, actually. My first two degrees were in history. The third one was in English. But I love digging into the research stacks. And, of course, when you do in places like the Keeneland Library, you're always stumbling across things that you didn't know before that leads you off in a different direction and still to another subject.
2: I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, I'll read something and find out that a track was, you know, built on uh, prehistoric ground or an Indian burial ground or that uh, some famous president once, <laughs> once visited there. It's just amazing the jewels you come up with uh, with your research.
3: Well, I'll tell you a couple of things that I just stumbled across by accident. I don't know what subject I was researching at the time, but I ran across some paramutual racing charts from Texas tracks in the nineteen thirties and I didn't realize that Texas had paramutual racing in the nineteen thirties and they did. And as it turned out, in 1935, Texas had the fourth highest purse distribution in the country. They had track in San Antonio, Alamo Downs, one in Houston called Epsom Downs, of all things, one in Arlington, <laughs> Texas, where the ballpark of Arlington is at Arlington's on that property. Now the home of the Texas Rangers was called Arlington Downs. Ben Jones's first Kentucky Dib- Derby winner, Warren, came out of Arlington Downs in Texas.
2: And only you would know that, but what 's great is you always bring it to the forefront so i I, I, I learn something new every time I, I I read what one of your articles now but in in researching and in writing for so many years, you brought up a fact to me the other day when we were in the press box, and that was uh, john it 's not like uh, the world 's going to end if A racetrack goes away. It's been happening for decades. It's just rare that we see one that's right under our nose. And, of course, we were talking about uh, the changes that are happening in Kentucky right now and, and the broad effect that it may have in northern Kentucky.
4: Well,
3: you know, just to mention some of the racetracks that have gone out of business in the past quarter century. Rockingham Park in New Hampshire, Garden State Park in New Jersey, Hialeah in Florida, um, Jefferson Down in New Orleans, Detroit Racecourse, Sportsman's Park in Chicago, Axar in Nebraska, Long Acres in Washington State. And, I mean, what's happening in Kentucky has been somewhat forestalled, but we're probably going to see at least one tra- racetrack close down, and, of course, that would be Turfway Park.
2: Well, that uh, is, is very sad news to me because uh, as close as I am to it geographically, uh, I've spent a lot of time there. I've seen a lot of great horses run there, and I've got a lot of good friends that work there. And it just seems like uh, the, the industry is ever shrinking.
3: Uh, it is shrinking and that's something that's, you know, been coming along for a long time and it's not a necessarily bad thing that we do shrink. We have too much racing, just like we're getting to the point where I have too many casinos in this country. I think it would be better if we went to sort of the models that they have in countries like Japan and Hong Kong, both of which I've been to, where they race maybe three times a week, total of, you know, uh, Absolute total in Hong Kong of 78 racing days per year. But I'll tell you something, on the average day in Hong Kong, in Hong Kong itself, they bet more money than they do worldwide on the Kentucky Derby program each year.
2: I know uh, we were lucky enough on Winning Ponies to have Bill Nader as our guest several months ago, and the, the statistics were, were just eye-popping. Well, while you're while you're on that subject, though, you know, we've got to look at the reality of it, and that is the input and the power that the horseman's groups have, and the last thing they want to see is not having the chance to race a horse, and, and that that's a big part, and I think some of these decisions that are being made as far as race dates. Uh, that's that's part of it too, but other groups are involved also The parametrical
3: clerks don't wanna um uh, you know lose jobs they don't wanna lose race dates because you know they don't make as much money. but the thing of it is, I think a major problem we have in racing. It used to be that, you know, circuits were seasonal, okay? You didn't race in Florida during the summer. You didn't race in New York during the winter. But now we've got all these people, trainers, assistant trainers, jockeys, grooms, pari clerks, all these people want to make full-time livings from the sport, year-round livings. It's impossible for the sport to to support that.
2: Well, well said. And if you think about it, it, it is a reality. But, I mean, now that you've got a state like New York... That's just reaping the benefits of alternative gaming. With the pot that they're able to put up, they can just about race year round without having to worry about it, and still attract good horses.
3: For the time being, they can. But eventually, the state's going to take a lot of that money back. They've already done it in West Virginia. They're doing it in Pennsylvania. They've certainly done it up in up in Canada, in Toronto, uh, in Toronto, and at, at Fort Erie. You'll eventually see that in New York too.
2: Well, uh, Bill, you've, again, you again, you've covered the sport uh, from, from so many angles, and you've been to so many cities and, and so many racetracks. Uh, take a step back, and how are you looking at uh, the vista of the Breeders' Cup as it is today from where it came?
3: Too many races. I think we have too many Breeders' Cup races, and I think your prominent breeders in Kentucky are largely responsible for that. People like Will Farish. I mean, the Breeders' Cup is still... Uh, a magnificent event, but it's it's an event largely for horse racing people itself and horse fans, and we don't have that many horse fans in this country. The ones we do have are very loyal to the sport, but we don't have you know this big pool of sports fans like we do at baseball and and football. Is the most prominent event in the United States for racing each year remains the Kentucky Derby.
2: Without a doubt, and 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 you just wonder, you know, again when you started seeing a juvenile sprint added, um, a marathon added, uh, you know, you know, all of a sudden two-year-old turf races. In my opinion, it 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 kind of watered down the importance of the day. I understand that you want to have other divisional champions, but aren't there other racetracks that can provide outstanding races with the similar conditions and not necessarily have it be called a Breeders' Cup race?
3: You would think so. I mean, we've lost a lot of very prominent races because of the Breeders' Cup. I mean, you and I both remember what a great race the Washington, D.C. International was.
2: Oh, yeah. I was there when uh, when uh, Steve Cawthon stole it with Johnny D. Yeah, I mean, I was lying in a hospital bed when I was 15 years old. In Newport,
3: Rhode Island, um, I had been in a bad automobile accident, and I remember watching a, a French import. They matched the second, the Kelso and Carryback. It was a mile-and-a-half race, and back then they had a walk-up start to a tape in the Washington, D.C. International. They didn't have a starting gate.
2: In, in, in my guess, that those would be the horses that would uh, get the most look and what would be called the, the Breeders' Cup Marathon.
3: Yeah. Well, more so than the Breeders' Cup Marathon, I mean, the Breeders' Cup Turf. I mean, the Washington, D.C. International back then was the most prominent turf race in the United States. I guess along with the United Nations, with the United
2: Nations Atlantic City. But, of course, that's back when Atlantic City was in its heyday. Uh, absolutely. Well, you know, nonetheless, what's what's an, another uh, factor of this year's race that I'm going to ask Frank Angst about, and I'm going to ask you about, too, is the elimination of LASIKs for the two-year-old juveniles that will be performing on Friday and Saturday. What impact do you think that's going to have?
3: Well, it will have more of an impact, I think, on horses that race in the United States than horses that race in Europe, which is not to say that horses in Europe don't race on drugs. I think a lot of people believe they do. It's just they're not tested for it nearly as carefully. I've just got this feeling that in the juvenile dirt races, the California horses are going to clean up this year.
2: Well, again, they don't have to ship, and it just seems that horses have a harder time sh- shipping from east to west, and I do think that the European horses are going to have a-, a good chance in-, in the in the younger races. Now, the other thing is, and one thing I've noticed over the years is that when those European horses come here, when the older horses, when they have the opportunity to, they will race on Lasix.
3: Yeah, they will. Um, And uh, a lot of them do show improved performances, and sometimes some of them don't. Um, I do believe that we, I I don't think we should ban medication altogether in this country, but I do believe that horses are over medicated. There's no question in my mind about that. Just like people are over medicated. You know, now you go to the doctor's office, you go a cold, the first thing they want to do is give you four prescriptions.
2: Exactly, exactly. Because well, there's a guy outside with, with a free lunch for the guy if you use his uh, his medicine. Yeah. Um, well, one thing uh, that uh, again I, I enjoy reading you so much is in the in the book Keeneland's Ted Bassett, my life. Oh my God. What a life that guy led, and I mean, you, you just told it just un- unbelievably, you know. Any Anytime I saw him, I knew he had been an ex-Marine, and he always had that stead look on his face, very serious, but man, that guy took a very circuitous route to be the president of Keeneland.
3: He sure did. There's no question about it. And the great challenge for me in this, bu- in that book is we decided very early on that it would be in the form of the autobiography, but I actually wrote it. I mean, I told Ted when we started on the project that we had to get at least 130,000 words in transcript in interviews, and I think we ended up with 220,000. And I transcribed all the interviews myself because I had to get Ted's voice in his head. And the biggest compliment to me that I can receive for the book, they said, you know, when you read that, it sounds exactly like Ted Bassett talking.
2: (laughs) That's not an easy thing to do. It's a tough trick for a writer to write a book in somebody else's voice. Well, you've you've done it well, and uh, it it looks like you're going to be uh, pretty well rewarded uh, for your years of excellence. Uh, There's no higher honor than to be honored by your peers. And the National Turf Writers and Broadcasters Association uh, for your excellence in turf writing is going to be giving you the the Walter Hate uh, Award at the Breeders' Cup Week. Uh, tell me how that makes you feel. It Makes me feel tremendous.
3: I mean, particularly because it comes from directly from my fellow turf writers. I mean, you know, it's it's. I don't know what to say, what else to say about that. It's just a tremendous honor, and I feel very gratified to get it. In many respects, it's. It's sort of the perfect culmination to a turf writing career.
2: Well, let's let's hope it's not a culmination. Let's hope it's just a, another trophy up on the shelf there with your with your several uh, Eclipse awards that you have. Because uh, you know both you and I know how old we are, but you're very young at heart, and you keep your writing fresh. And I I hope that people out there always uh, think of Bill Mooney when they think of who'd be the right guy to write this for me.
3: Well, uh, you know, uh, you and I go back a long time, John, and we've been good friends for a long time. I mean, we go back to when coach me, Chad, won the Cradle Stakes and <laughs> next year came in second to Swale in the Kentucky Derby. And, yes. of course, in '84 we had Spendabuck winning the cradle stakes, and he won the Kentucky Derby the following year in one of the most electrifying performances I've ever seen. So I think you're a little bit prejudiced when you say that sort of thing.
2: <laughs> well, uh, i got a feeling the national turf writers, uh know a little bit more than I do, and you're the one getting the Walter Haidt Award. So with that, I'm going to let you go. But before I do, I just want my audience to know that Bill Mooney is the only guy I know that's had a half-brother to a Kentucky Derby winner named after him. Yes, there was a horse by Danzig out of the dam of Spendenbach named Bill Mooney.
3: Yeah, and I'll tell you something. That horse came in third twice in stakes. Of course, there were only four horses in, in each stake. He won not fire in the stretch, so they had a choice. Either put him out to stud or geld him. And I said, oh, my God, don't geld him. <laughs> And thankfully, they didn't. He stood in South Africa and Puerto Rico for a while, and every now and then he shows up in the Keeneland catalog.
2: All right. Well, we're talking with Bill Mooney, the man, not Bill Mooney, the uh, South American stallion. Thanks a lot so much for being on Winning Ponies with us, Bill.
3: Okay. Thank you, John.
2: All right. Take care. All right. Well, we're going to go from one writer to a writer-slash-handicapper coming up here on Winning Ponies, and we're going to be talking to the blood horses, Frank Angst. (laughs)
0: Tune in to a show about making a comeback and what really goes on behind the scenes with your favorite athletes and beyond. Listen for The Comeback Radio Show with Tony Farmer. A lot of people believe what they read on the Internet, hear and see in the media, and on the news. We're going to give our guests the chance to tell the real story without the extra hype. It's not just sports, although that will be a focal point of the program. We'll also look at the world of celebrities, music, modeling, and more. Listen every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Sports.
4: And they're off!
1: What? Can't make it to the track?
2: writer who has been a guest on winning ponies before he's also a pretty savvy handicapper when i last spoke to him he was uh part of the staff of the thoroughbred times and i now speak to him as part of the staff of the blood horse magazine who was their biggest competitor frank what's it like uh wearing the other team's uniform
4: (laughs) i'm still getting a little bit used to it but uh It's certainly helped out, that I've known a lot of people there for a while and a lot of good writers, a lot of good editors there, and great overall staff. So it's been exciting starts and things.
2: Uh, You know, I I really couldn't pick one over the other. Uh, Over the years, having the chance to get to know the staff at the Thoroughbred Times and the staff uh, at the Blood Horse, they're all great guys. You know, they all have a great passion for the sport. But what I like about, you know, most of the people, like people that you, you, you hang out with, like, you know, Tom Law and Ed DeRosa, and, and now guys like uh, uh, Tom Lamara, you'll be rubbing
4: elbows with, his,
2: they're all real regular sure. guys.
4: Exactly. It's a lot of guys that still love getting out to the track. I mean, so many of the riders, uh, I mean, uh, people come to this sport from a lot of different ways, I should say, but quite a few of the riders come from it from the handicapping side, and that's definitely how I got into the sport, and. Once you're into it, there's just endless fascination about so many different angles of the sport
2: well there's so many things that can change that can change overnight as you know uh it could be uh, you know an excellent workout a horse that wakes up on the turf it could be a horse who's uh you know um you've got it out in the backyard and all of a sudden her full sister wins a grade one race and it changes the whole exactly. complexion of your operation it really is interesting on a day-to-day basis how much uh this game can change
4: that's for sure and i, I mean that's the whole thing there's just so many different ways to be involved in horse racing, an owner, a breeder, handicapper, jockey, agent. I mean, the list just goes on and on. And as you meet these people, it's just always a fascinating story. And one of the best questions you can ask anybody that's a fan of horse racing is, how did you first get into horse racing? It's almost always an interesting answer.
2: Well, I know I asked you that question the last time you were on, but it's been several months. How did you first get into horse racing?
4: Well, you know, I, I just started playing the horses over at Turfway Park and, um, a friend of mine, his grandfather trained horses over there. His, he's passed, he's passed on. His name was Tom Hesketh. Uh, he yes, didn't I have a him. huge stable or anything, but, uh, you know, he had a few horses over there and on nights he thought the horse might run well, he'd give us a call and we'd all go over there with the goal of, uh, getting in the winter circle and hopefully cashing a ticket or two.
2: Well, uh, you know, it really is a familiar story. People go into the track with their family members, their grandfather their their next door neighbor. Uh, I hear it often, and it 's just one of those things that once you get the love of the game, you keep it luckily you 've kept it forever and you 've been able to you know turn your professional life in, into your love of your life. Now, The other day, I believe we were via telephone at the same press conference. Uh, with uh, Todd Pletcher, Suge McGhee, Bill Mott, uh, Chuck Lepresti, and Graham Motion, uh, like you were you were line a line part of that, correct? Yes, yeah, I, was like I, I do, do believe yeah, you I chiming that. in. Well, the the one question that came up more than once, and I want to get your read on it, was what's the effect going to be of the juveniles racing without lasix? Is there anything you got from that interview? Because I noticed Pletcher did actually state, "Hey, I'm." Pro medication if
4: needed. Yeah. I mean, to me, it just. I kind of got into the sport right at the tail end of Belmont um, not allowing LASIKs to Nyra tracks, and that was only a year or two. And I was just trying to remember back to that. And I think as a handicapper, you just approach that, you just kind of trust that the horse is going to run well without it. I mean, I, I mean. It's not a high. I don't think there's a high percentage of bleeders that that the performance will be affected, especially in one start. Um, but I mean, they do all bleed to some extent, and it's going to affect them on. It's, it's going to affect probably one or two horses on some significant level. But there's just no way of. I don't think there's any way of knowing what horse that might be.
2: Well, it would just be a tragedy if we had a, um, you know, NBC close-up of uh, of something happening, you know, after a race. Um, and, and, of course, what a lot of people are saying is might be a good angle to, to bet the
4: Euros in those baby races. I mean, at least you know that they will perform well without it. Um, the thing is, though, is... You, I'm also concerned that a lot of trainers might... It's kind of a ready-made excuse as well, John. That, that's my other concern. The fact of the matter is, is horses that have shipped from the East Coast haven't run well at Santa Anita in the Breeders' Cups there. I, I think that's a bigger concern of mine than who might bleed and who might not bleed. But I, I, the majority, I don't think, will be affected by their performance.
2: You know... uh I don't know if you got the same read on this or not, but it was when uh, they brought uh, Chuck Lepresti into the interview, and I forget exactly who asked him the, the question or made the statement saying, you know, do you realize that if Wise Dan wins the uh, Breeders' Cup mile, he, he he may not only be made horse of the year, but he might be considered one of the greatest of all time. Did, did you feel him being kind of taken back with that question? <laughs>
4: Well, I mean, I think what brings it up is the fact that that celebration is coming, and and I mean, what what a sporting move by those connections. I mean, the horse just won last weekend, and then to come over here and ship and race in the Breeders' Cup, and what I guess it'll be two weeks later, right? And I mean, that's just that's what it's all about, I think, in this sport and competing. And with him coming over, it gives us some gauge. I mean, I, I don't think the I don't think Wise Dan is frankled, but to have a common opponent at least I think it makes it makes it very interesting and celebration is is an accomplished horse in his own right, so yeah i if wise Dan is able to knock that mileer off i mean that you can't say much more than that i mean that's as good as they come,
2: yeah, and just to clarify for for our listening celebration is an irish bed bred uh who uh just about the only horse, the only horse that's ever beaten him is Frankel. So, like you said, yeah, this will definitely uh, give us a chance. Uh, he, he lost to Frankel in the in the, the Grade One Queen Anne and the lockage Stakes at, at Newbury uh, this year and uh, last year in their queen elizabeth the second stakes a race he just won by three lengths so uh, yeah that's very interesting well we will get a chance to uh compare uh apples to apples uh in the breeders cup mile and it'll certainly uh make the uh reputation of wise dan an interesting one should should he and, win and that race you,
4: and then you have animal kingdom coming back in that race as well which is just fascinating one of our derby winners now going to try to mile and Anyone who remembers that race at Gulfstream, it was just an overpowering performance on the turf. Graham I, I is as, as good a trainer as they come, but I, I still have my concerns about that long a layoff, and I just don't know if he's going to be able to train a horse right into that race and, and get his best effort the first out, which it's going to take someone's first best effort to win that race. It's just a loaded field. Yeah, it's
2: going to be unbelievable. And, of course, Motion in the interview said this horse is just so big. It's the only reason for his injuries is he he tends to injure himself because he's he's huge, he's massive, he's athletic. We'll find out. Well, my producer, Matt Widener, is uh, looking at me right now. He's going, hey, when are you going to get Frank to handicap one of our races? So uh, you're down there in the bluegrass. So let's start out with the mile and an eighth, the Fayette Stakes, a grade two. And, uh, you know, these are horses that won't be going to the Breeders' Cup, but it certainly doesn't mean that uh, it's not a quality group.
4: Yeah, with the Breeders' Cup Classic and the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, I was kind of wondering who's going to be left for the fayette, but still it's quite a, there's quite a few good horses out there. That's what races like this remind you of. Um, the horse that I landed on is Mitty. Um, he just won at the meet on October 6th. And I I always like that at Keeneland when a horse, when they make a point of turning around to get that second start in a Keeneland, I always think that's a good sign. He's won two straight races on the poly track because he won at Arlington in the uh, grade three race before that. And I just really love the way this horse closes. I mean, he he puts up some really impressive fractions late. Uh, It's kind of interesting. He's by officer. I don't always think of him as a – mile you know uh, a mile a horse but yeah but this horse is 2 for 2 at the distance so that question's already been answered and uh I look for another big effort from this horse
2: I guess I guess the, the mystery horse in there, of course, is Take Charge Indy, horse that uh, went wire-to-wire wire in the Florida Derby, uh, had a flat tire in the Kentucky Derby, has not been out since the Kentucky Derby, uh, just put in a bullet work, and this shocked me when I really looked at it, Frank. Calvin Burrell will be looking for his first win of the meet
4: aboard Boy, Take Charge seems, Indy. Seems like Calvin's been in a bit of a funk for a while. Maybe the... Uh... Churchill meet might turn him around. It definitely has done that before. That's by far his best track. But uh, yeah, it just seems like he's been struggling a bit, especially at this meet. Uh, maybe he just hasn't had a good feel for the poly track. Well, it's all cyclical, and quite
2: frankly, on my racing form, I have a star against uh, on top of a horse by the name Mitty. So let's hope Great Mind think alike. Let's shoot real quick back to, to New York right now, Frank, if we can, uh, to the Bold Ruler Handicap. It's a grade three, going that interesting distance, seven furlongs, and I'll go first right here. I'm thinking Dick okay. Dutrow's holding a heavy hand. I'm like an associate with Johnny V. up.
4: Yeah, I can see what you like about that horse. Uh, just ran a really nice race last time toward the front end. Um, the horse I landed on, though, is uh, Little Drama. He'll be starting from the outside, which might be a little bit of a problem, but I, I think he should be, be able to get in a stocking-type position, uh, he, as he usually does. So that, that should work out. Um, so I'm sure a lot of listeners are like, well, he we just lost the Cayuccia Electronica. The reason I think he might turn the tables on that horse is I've been fooling around with a lot of surface biases, trying to look for those, and I have a pretty good surface bias the last time that those two faced. And I think that compromised a little drama, and I think maybe he turns the tables uh, this Saturday.
2: Well, we're both trying to pick an upset because KX Electronica, I think, would uh, have to be could th- the favorite on that day, and I certainly wouldn't leave him off off my ticket. Uh, the horse and and the one out. thing we
4: should probably note on that horse, John, is Mike Rapole is skipping the Breeders' Cup. He's upset about the LASIK situation. Yes. So he's not sending any of his horses. This horse, of course... You know, he wouldn't, the relationship wouldn't affect him because he's older. But that does make me think, you know, for this horse, this is the Breeders' Cup, so certainly he'll be in top shape. I
2: mean, you, you think about it again. We talked about horses not going to the Breeders' Cup that still have quality uh, left in them. Uh, this is a horse who this year has won over a million dollars and is coming out of nine straight graded stakes races with his last three starts coming in grade ones.
4: He is the horse that that I pull for, a seven year old, and he's still out there being a productive horse. And uh, I was there today that he won the True North at Belmont, and it's always exciting to see the closer. I I think people that have their heart in this game, if you uh one of the two, there's something more exciting about a horse just seeing a horse come from the clouds, and uh, that's always that's usually how this one runs.
2: Absolutely, you know, you just you you keep thinking he can't do it, he can't do it. Oh my God, he can do it! Uh, You know, you have to wonder if because his uh, his breeding's kind of remote. I mean, he's by a a relaunch stallion by the name of Aramanches, who I quite frankly have never heard of, and now Aramanches has produced this horse who's won over a million and a half. You think that's the reason they keep running him?
4: I wish I had researched and got the exact quote, but Mike Ripoli told me that that sire ran well to a very uh, old age. So they're still thinking that uh, Kayaks Electronica might have a few more seasons in it. (laughs)
2: Well, the way he's running right now, 2012, 10 starts, 3 wins, a second, and a third for over a million dollars. I don't see why you'd uh, slow down on him. He seems to just be getting better with age. Matter of fact, you know, he did uh, run in this race last year and finished third. So uh, he's certainly uh, no stranger and likes the Belmont surface and certainly likes the rare seven furlong distance. Of his 18 lifetime wins, eight of them are at seven furlongs. Wow. Yeah. Well, listen, let's just move on because uh, we're having an awful lot of fun with this. We're, Kind of going around the country. Uh, here's here's a, another race that I know over the years has produced some nice horses. Uh, it's a six furlong race for older horses. Always uh, brings out some speedsters. It's the Frank J DeFrancis Memorial Dash. Three hundred fifty thousand on the line at Laurel Park, and it's interesting that that three hundred fifty thousand. Is still enough to draw horses uh, to Laurel because I'm seeing a good portion of the field uh, that hasn't raced much here at Laurel, and they're willing to to ship on over and take a shot at this purse.
4: Yeah, um, I'm guessing that this race is going to get its uh, grade back pretty quickly. This is a nice field, John.
2: Well, for that very reason, I want to find out who Frank Anx
4: likes. I'm going to go with, uh, again, I've been talking about the surface plays, and I don't I don't play parks regularly, but I happened to watch on their big day this year. And it was just closer after closer winning that day. And Il Volano, who typically doesn't get right up on the lead for whatever reason that day, he got in a speed duel, and there were several horses up there. And he lasted, you know, well into the race, you know, and turning for home, he was still competitive. And I really liked that effort. They ran very fast fractions that day. And I think if he doesn't get so caught up on the pace in this race, I think he can deliver his best and and pull off a win here.
2: Well, again, you know, you talk about uh, you can measure every horse's best distance with a yardstick five times at six furlongs for victories uh, for your pick right there. again, And one of the horses that, that hasn't been... Been over the the strip, uh, mystery horse in here. Wanted to check you on you out. Was uh, last year's uh, Alfred Vanderbilt Grade One at Saratoga, the winner Sean Avery obviously had a hitch in its get along. Uh, did not return to the races until September this year. Came back, looked pretty solid and kind of a minor stake, and then back up a little bit in the Vosburg. Do you think he's the the same horse, or does he have to be the entire horse he was to win this race?
4: Yeah, I guess, I, I mean, he definitely does. And I'm, he put together a nice finish last time. I mean, it's, well, I mean, I should say into about mid-stretch, where he kind of hit the wall. So, I, I mean, maybe he gets over that and improves in this race. Um, I mean, you definitely go back to last year, and he was a, going about as well as any sprinter in the country uh, before the layoff there. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I would have liked to have seen just a little bit more in that last effort, but he's definitely done it before on on his past performances.
2: Well, I'm, I'm kind of looking at the now horse right now, like I did uh, last week in that West Virginia race. I'm kind of liking Action Andy a little bit. Uh, looks like it's coming into this mm-hmm. race off a top effort with a 95 buyer. So I think, I think Action Andy may just be my play.
4: Yeah, the local the locals would love that. He's coming off the big win at Laurel. There, do you have time for a quick story about Il Volano? <laughs> Please. Yeah, he, um, he raced on Preakness weekend, and I happened to be there, and I saw something that I've never seen out of a, a you know horse in training, especially I guess a top horse, is they they have that indoor paddock there, and a gentleman had a, his daughter on his shoulders, and the handler of Il Volano is there. You know, getting ready for this stakes race that day—a race that he did win—brought the horse over, and the girl started petting him on the face, and several other kids <laughs> joined in. Which, I mean, most of us know these are great horses, and but it's not always—they're uh, not always the friendliest on on race. Not again. on race day, but yeah, I mean, they are at, back in the stable and things. But it was just something to see. You know, he it was, it was obviously very comfortable with people for whatever reason.
2: All right. Well, we're going to take one more trip out to where we're going to be this weekend, and that's going to be Santa Anita. Mile on the turf, the Autumn Miss Stakes. It used to be called the Harold Ramser Sr. Stakes. i got a couple minutes to look at this one. You know, just something I've seen developing all year long out there, and it cannot be denied a horse that just looks like it—they it, it, finally figured out the key to this horse. They got the ticket, and that's the Killer Bees, Bob Baffert, and Rafael Beirano. Lady Ten has never been off the board. Now she's never won at Santa Anita, but has had four second-place finishes. Has won on the turf at the distance, and has never been off the board at the turf at the
4: distance. That's my pick in here. Yeah, she's the uh, same filly that I landed on. I'm. She just she just doles out regular solid fraction after solid fraction, which is very impressive. And I don't see a whole lot of early speed in this race, John. So I think she's going to either be on the lead or whatever to lead or run, she's going to be very comfortable up there. And I just think that sets her up well for a big run in this race. I just yeah. don't see anybody that can stay with her early. And uh, she's, she's finished well in the last two starts as well.
2: Yeah, it just it just seems to me like Baffert's done a great job. I mean, the horse has had 10 starts in 2012, but he knows his horse as well, and uh, obviously he switched the, the horse to turf and got the best efforts out of her. Uh, maybe she's by Rock Hard 10. I understand they're all really big horses. Maybe it just took a little while for this filly to kind of fit into her body. I don't know.
4: Yeah, that could sound right and just kind of, yeah, just coming along at, at this time of year, and all of a sudden you have a race that's restricted to three-year-old fillies, so... That's good. If she's finally maturing, it's, you know, it's not like she has to take on older
2: here.
4: Exactly,
2: her exactly. Again, so. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we've been uh, blessed with some great guests tonight. Of course, uh, Bill Mooney was on just before Frank. Uh, always enjoyed talking to him, an outstanding writer and another outstanding writer and handicapper and a guy that can explain the game in a way you can understand it as Frank angst. Frank, thanks a lot, and I hope you have a great Breeders' Cup week. Thanks, John. I hope you do as well. I plan on it. Well, I hope that our Winning Ponies listeners plan on it, too. Don't forget, go to the Winning Ponies site because they're on the grounds at Santa Anita watching the works. They're going to be giving out all their picks. Came up with some big wins last year. Hopefully, if you uh, get on... Uh, line with them, you're going to pull down some of their products and get some big wins too and hopefully uh, Frank, Bill and I gave you a little bit of insight, next week we're going to have some very special guests so special, I can't tell you who they are but I can tell you this, they're going to be out there at Santa Anita, so for another edition of Winning Ponies I'm John Engelhart. remember when you go to the races, bet with your head, not over it